Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sunday morning, a time to gather together as your people and receive what you have promised to us, the love and forgiveness of Christ for our lives that we get to share with each other and that lead us to eternal life. Please send your spirit into our hearts, minds, and lives this day that we might receive your message and that it might transform who we are and what we want to do. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I'm married, I've got five children, and I'm a pastor, which means on a lot of Sunday mornings, I'm up here and my wife is somewhere seated in the congregation among the people, and uh, sometimes she's watching our children. A long time ago at a church far, far away, I was up here doing my pastor thing. My wife was seated doing her mom thing, and our children were around her. And apparently, something that one of my children was doing was displeasing to another church member. And my wife and children got the shush. Do you know what that is? As if to communicate, I'm trying to get something from the message here. Would you please take your children out into the narthex lobby or to the cry room? After I received uh, this report from my wife, in my sinfulness, I prepared a message on why we weren't going to be a shushing church. <laughs> and tended to, <laughs> wanted to give that with the full force of fire and brimstone that it warranted. But God's wisdom and my wife's graces got the better of me. Um, and yet it was something that we did talk about as a church leadership. What kind of church did we want to be? Did we want to be this shushing kind of church? Or did we want to be a church where children are welcome because we know that the sound of babies and children with us rise up to the ears of the Lord? And our sweet music to him because it means that the next generation of people have received the faith and are practicing the faith. By the way, for all of you parents who have your children here in worship this morning, you're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad your children are with you. And if your kids make noise during the service, that's okay. That's a joyful noise to the Lord, and that's a joyful noise to this pastor's ear. What kind of church do we want to be? It's a good question. And it's a question that I'm pursuing as the lead pastor of St. Lawrence Lutheran Church. What kind of church are we? Identifying our values, vision, and mission as a congregation. Some of that work we've already done. Some of that work we'll continue to do together. But what kind of church do we want to be? And what kind of church is God calling us to be? For the sake of ourselves, our congregation, but also for the sake of our community and folks who are not a part of our family of faith, at least not yet. There's a, a few kind of ways that we can be as a congregation together. One way is this way. We can be a permissive church. Now, to be a permissive church sounds like this. God loves you. God loves you no matter who you are. God loves you no matter what you've done because God is love. And at first glance, that sounds kind of good because God is the very definition of love. God does love you. He loves you no matter what. 
but God also loves you way too much to leave you that way. For God to love you and leave you alone means that in some respect, you still might be lost or confused or frustrated in your sin, your selfishness, and your stubbornness. And since God can't imagine a heaven without you and he wants to be with you forever, he's got to do something about that. So to be a permissive church is quite easy. Live and let live. You do your thing, I'll do mine, and we'll just hang out together in God's love. Won't that be great? Kind of an attractive message. Easily digestible message. But somehow devoid of sharing the full counsel of God with his people. And somehow not fully receiving and appreciating the salvation of God and what it costs God's son in the process. Now, instead of being a permissive church, we could also be a pious church. What does it mean to be a pious church? Well, it's a little tougher than a permissive church because not anything goes. And instead of focusing on God's love, we focus more on God's laws. And to be a pious kind of church, we have to know our stuff. We know, we have to know what we believe. And then secondly, we have to know how to behave. And then, as God's appointed pious person in your presence, it's my job to correct your beliefs and to adjust your behavior. Whether you ask for it or not. Don't you just love unsolicited advice and opinion giving? To be a pious church is rather exhausting because you have to have your radar on all the time and you've got to focus in on where the errant beliefs are and where that dysfunctional behavior is and there's so much of it all around. And if my pastor would just preach more law-based sermons, he would take care of this mess we clean this place up, we clean these people's lives up, and then they would begin to believe like me and behave like me, and we would live happily ever after. <laughs> the pious church. Kind of tempting, isn't it? Some personalities really like to um, be in charge and tell other people what to believe and how to behave. In all truthfulness and honestly with you, as a pastor... Sometimes I've been tempted by both of these approaches. To be a permissive kind of church means I don't have to have awkward and uncomfortable conversations with God's people about their behavior. To be a pious church means I can hide behind the word of God and I can present it and say, kind of take it or leave it. This is what God's word says. And I don't have to get too close relationally. But I'm not sure that's the kind of church that God is intending us to be. Randy Alcone, who's a popular Christian author, writes this, truth without grace degenerates into judgmental legalism. But grace without truth degenerates into deceitful tolerance. And he prescribes being a people of God where we present grace and truth in our ministries to all of God's people, no matter who they are or where they're from or what they've done. 
and that sometimes more grace is needed and necessary for the situation and circumstances, and at other times, there's more of God's truth that's needed and necessary for the situation or the circumstances. And we pray for God's Holy Spirit to help us know what kind of balance to provide to God's people in their time of need. Grace and truth. The following schematic produced by a church consultant kind of highlights what happens when we have a little bit too much grace or perhaps a little too much truth in our approach to ministry. If it's low truth and low grace, people tend to check out because there's nothing of value and substance that might lead to life change and transformation for me, so why bother? Why invest in such a people or an organization? If there's high grace and low truth, kind of that permissive stance on ministry, then it's just hanging out. And I get this image in my mind of someone from perhaps Southern California saying, hey man, hang loose, dude. It's all right. Don't get so worked up, man. I know that's a stereotype and that's not true of all people from Southern California. So my apologies, folks, if you're watching from sunny South California. High truth and low grace lead to that pious kind of culture where instead of embracing folks, we're calling folks out, holding them accountable, but not really sharing God's love with them, offering all kinds of laws and prescriptions for their lives, but not wanting to relate with them. And then of course the call in where we have high grace and high truth, which is what we're prescribing this morning. Thankful for God's word. Grateful that God could allow us to experience his grace and truth in our lives and then share that grace and truth with others. And I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit working through the wisdom of God's word this morning that comes to us from 1 Corinthians 13. This was not read earlier, but this will be part of the focus for our message today. 1 Corinthians 13 the Apostle Paul's famous discourse on love, often read at wedding ceremonies, wherein the Apostle Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, love was essential for ministry according to the Apostle Paul. If your approach to ministering to the other people did not include a component of love, it would not be well received to the person you're hoping to share with. The Apostle Paul goes on to write about the definition of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Notice this. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Until I started doing significant work on the grace and truth of God, as shown to us in the scriptures, I never really noticed that truth component in 1 Corinthians 13. Had you recognized it before? It kind of slipped past me. 
but interesting, there it is. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, in a person living outside the word and will of God for their lives. Instead, love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. A beautiful definition and description of love. Friends, real love is not permissive. And real love is not pious. Instead, love is the supreme ethic. It is the longing of the human heart to belong in the sacred trust of a genuine relationship. It's what you crave and desire as a human being in relationship with other people. And I also believe it's what people desire in their relationship with their church, with this body of believers in Jesus Christ. It's what they're hoping to discover in a family of faith that they can call their own. One such woman who was longing for this kind of relationship with her church was named Lydia Caesar. Lydia grew up as a PK, a preacher's kid, a pastor's kid in a large church in New York. This church and this ministry not only became nationally known, but also world-renowned to some degree. So her father was well-known in ministry circles. She loved her family. She loved her mother, her father. She loved her upbringing in the church. Lydia worshipped most every weekend. She even worshipped on Friday nights. This particular church had Friday night church. Can you believe that? She was a part of the Sunday school and the youth group. She even joined a group called Purity with a Purpose when she was 16. This was a group that would meet together for Bible study and encouragement, and they would make a pledge to remain pure until they were married, to practice abstinence until they were married. Lydia also volunteered in the worship team and on the drama team for this congregation. But her parents knew something about Lydia that not everyone else knew. Lydia, along with being a PK and being brought up within the church, was also a strong-willed child. She certainly had a mind of her own. She also had a unique and expressive fashion sense that was not always appreciated by everyone in the congregation, especially to this particular group of people that Lydia phrased and coined the Holy Roller Ladies. Now the Holy Roller Ladies dressed a certain way, behaved a certain way, certainly believed a certain way, and would offer commentary in a certain way. And Lydia, week in and week out in worship, as she passed by these Holy Roller Ladies, would receive their glares and stares, would sometimes receive helpful comments from them about what she was wearing. They were critical of Lydia, not only from what she wore on Sunday mornings, but also for her desire to become an entertainer when she got older, because in their minds, anything done publicly should be pro proclaiming the word of God, instead of carrying on like the rest of the world on TV. Said her father about these ladies, Lydia, don't worry about the stares or judgment from certain folks. Our faith in Jesus is not about following religious rules, 
but instead it's about having a relationship with Jesus and having relationships with other people. And sometimes those relationships with other people can be flawed. When Lydia turned 18, she attended college and still lived at home. She met a guy who went to the same school and they started dating. They fell in love and began to be intimate with one another. And then one thing led to another and Lydia became pregnant and the weight of the world started to rest upon her shoulders. She was 19 now, a freshman in college and experiencing the guilt, shame, depression and fear of a young woman who had made a mistake with her boyfriend and who had remembered the teachings of her church, teachings of her father, and also the judgmental stares and comments of the Holy Roller Church ladies. What was she gonna tell her parents? How could she ever face her church family again? Well, Lydia and her boyfriend made an appointment with her parents and together told the news to her parents. And in so doing, her mother remained silent. And her father leaned back in his chair, looked at her and said, how could you do this to me? She could understand how her father felt that way, but she was glad that she was honest with him. Understanding that she might have to step away for just a time from some of her responsibilities in the church, she summoned the courage to share the news with the congregation and asked her father if it would be okay if she addressed the congregation. Her father thought about this, prayed about it, and gave her his permission and blessing to share with the church. And her mother worked with Lydia on preparing her remarks. And the Sunday came for Lydia to share the news with the congregation. She woke up that morning and wore a long white dress from her mother's closet because there were only so many judgmental stares and glances that she could stand from the Holy Roller Church ladies. She was nervous as she sat in the pew during worship waiting for her father to finish his message. And she remembers this feeling. For the first time in her life as she sat in the pew in her own church, she felt like an outsider. Toward the end of the service, her father introduced her and she got up and started to read her speech. She communicated with her congregation that she had made a mistake. And she felt like she let God down, let her family down and her church down. And then she asked for God's forgiveness during her talk. And not only that, she asked for the forgiveness of her congregation. And then Lydia pleaded for their support during what would be the most challenging time of her young life. As she finished her talk, Lydia kept her head down, focused on the page in front of her, focused on the podium, not wanting to look her congregation in their eyes. But as her gaze turned up, she noticed something. She noticed person after person starting to stand. And then this collection of God's people starting to clap for her. They gave Lydia a standing ovation that morning. Not congratulating her on the news of her be being pregnant. But encouraging her for keeping that child. And also signaling that they were going to support her in her time of need. She couldn't believe it. After the service, one of the Holy Roller ladies approached her and Lydia thought in her mind, oh boy, here it comes. But instead, this Holy Roller lady said to her, Lydia, 
I want you to know that I had my first child out of wedlock and it was really tough. And I can't imagine what this must be like for you being the daughter of a pastor. But I want you to know that you are stronger than you think. That God is going to be with you and I've got you. If you ever need anything, I'll be there for you. Lydia couldn't believe it. And then another holy roller church lady approached her. She embraced her and with streams of tears rolling down her face said, Lydia, I've watched you grow up from a young girl to a young woman in this church. And I can't believe you have the courage to stand up in front of our congregation and share what you did. I would never be that strong. I want you to know that you are going to be a shining example to others of what we do with our sin. And also, you're going to help so many young women who are struggling. You're going to help them heal and you're going to help them have hope. Looking back, Lydia remembers that there were naysayers. There were folks that still judged her and her family. They would say things like, well, how can Pastor Caesar lead a congregation if he can't even take care of his own family? She remembers those folks. But more than that, she remembers her father's words. That Christianity is not just about following a bunch of religious rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Said Pastor Caesar to his daughter, the people who opened their arms to you had that relationship with Jesus. Lydia considers them her family of faith. Lydia's also a performing artist now, by the way. Friends, somewhere in Lydia's story is the kind of congregation that I would like for us to be. Somewhere in Lydia's story is the kind of congregation that I would like to lead. And somewhere in Lydia's story is the kind of congregation that we can become when we receive not only the definition of God's love, but the gift of God's love, this gift of grace and truth. John shared it in his gospel that was read earlier by Mike. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. Not just grace so as to be overly permissive, not just truth so as to be overly pious, but grace and truth. Friends, may God's spirit be with us as we move forward as a family of faith and become what God intended us to be, a church full of the grace and truth of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.